Bravos, episode two. Uh, welcome to a Good Girls Guide podcast. This is Rachel Vote, and if you are just jumping in, we are um, actually still recording from our first episode where I have my very special guest, Miss Kaylee Nelson. Oh, Thomas, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. When does it have it? <laughs> it's been years since you've been Kaylee Nelson. <laughs> I can't even believe I remembered that. That's ridiculous. Anyways, I digress. Uh, this is the podcast, and you can find my link tree somewhere in the description. So if you want to continue conversations between sexual wellness and intimacy building, all the things, not just sex, of course, uh, through one-to-one sessions and coachings, uh, availability through empowerment classes as well, uh, and free services still include doing the in-home party uh, but if you just listened to the first one you already heard all that so we're going to jump right back in to where we were with my dear friend Kaylee uh, season three podcast we're doing special guests in the second half of the month and I asked my dear friend Kaylee to come on and talk about her story and so if you didn't listen to part one you're going to want to because we're literally at where she's at at age 17 so we've covered years one through 16 and a second pregnancy so that's where we were at so uh, just to recap pregnant with your second with your 29 year old boyfriend right and you're yeah. 18 so he's probably about 30 at this time okay all right no, at this time i'm 18 and 29 18 and 29 we're, we're 11 years apart got it okay all right so continue please friend okay so Piper's dad's relationship with me was not good okay it started out as just mentally abusive after piper maybe even I think it might have even started before. I don't remember. It got physical at some point. I think it wasn't until after we started using again after Piper when it started getting physical, maybe. Hmm. But uh, because as you had mentioned during your pregnancy, you stayed clean. Yes. Piper. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So how was? By the way, how was that for you? Like, what do you feel like being able to stay clean during your pregnancy? What was the? I mean, I, we know the motivation was to keep your baby health, happy and healthy as much as you could. But like, how did that have an effect on you with being overwhelmed with emotion and processing and dealing and not having nine months to have a something to lean on for that? Well, okay, so I guess it's important to throw in here and note that at this time in life, when I say I was doing meth, I was not using meth every single day. There might have been short spurts where it was like a week, maybe at the most, that it would be like a daily thing. But it wasn't ever like I went a whole year getting high every day at this point. Okay. So whenever I got pregnant with her, it was no big deal. Like there was, I had no problem staying clean. Okay. Like I still smoked pot but I smoked pot because I had nausea so bad that I was throwing every single thing up and it helped. So as far as everything else goes, I had no problem ditching everything whenever I was pregnant, like never have, it's never been a problem for me. It's, I don't know, something about somebody else's life instead of my own. But then that's why I asked because I know so many mothers like my mom and my grandma talked about from the moment they found out they were pregnant, they didn't smoke a cigarette. And my grandma can remember like rolling the window down, getting out of the hospital and lining up immediately. And I just, I, I think it's fascinating in that regard is because it almost proves the point at how creatures of comfort we are, right? Is because we can put something like that for almost a year, we can get clean from doing something and realize that it's, a, it's, it's subconscious, but it's about me, right? It's me and being uncomfortable with my emotions is the moment that I need to pick that thing back up as soon as that baby was born. Is that not crazy? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy as hell. Yeah. But so 
I, and I stayed clean after Piper for a while. I, I, it was a while before I actually started getting high again. And like I said, the relationship wasn't good. And so I was searching for any validation anywhere. And so I ended up cheating on him in a very public way, in a very embarrassing for both of us way. And I blew up our lives completely in St. Joe. And so we ended up moving back to King City. Well, I moved back to King City first. I didn't even know if we were going to be together or not at the time. And then he ended up moving back to King City with me and we found a place here in town and <laughs> things were not so great here either. Like we both got new jobs. We were both getting high here. Like um, it really wasn't too long after we moved here well it was it was two years it was yeah no it was about a year piper was 18 months two years old by the time piper was two me and her dad were really bad and it was towards the end already anyways and i my brother had just gotten out of jail and in my head like to tell you how bad it had gotten, I literally didn't know how I was going to get out of this relationship. Piper's dad is so much bigger than I am. He's like six foot two and like, fuck, 350 pounds. And I'm five foot two and weigh 105 pounds soaking wet at this time. Like, and it was extremely abusive. And I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how I was going to get out. But I knew that my brother was getting out. And I felt like as soon as my brother was going to get out, that he would help me, that he would get me out of there. He wasn't going to leave me in that situation. Mm -hmm. And my brother got out of jail. My brother had a friend who he was trying to hook me up with because he knew that I wanted to leave Mike. And he was like, I'm going to bring this friend up here and you and him can just go sneak off and I'll take Mike and we'll go get, we're going to go get some drugs and you guys just hang out here. So the day that my brother gets out of prison, he comes to my house, takes Mike, they leave and go get drugs. He brings Matt back to my house, or well, to my mom's house. And me and Matt hooked up at my mom's house. And it was a shit show because, like, I didn't go back after that. Like, Matt had been incarcerated too he hadn't been out for very long and he had been clean until that night whenever my brother got out and we all got high that night and uh <laughs> shit really blew up huge like it ended up with mike or his brother or somebody called dfs and told them stuff that really wasn't the truth and ended up having the kids taken away from me and you know, you would think that having your kids that you've worked so hard to be a good mom to, that you've done everything you can to give them a good life, you've worked nonstop, you've always had a job, you've always made sure they have everything they needed. Sure, I had shitty relationships and I was not setting them up with good examples for what love was and how to love yourself, but I was doing all of the necessary things that you're supposed to do. And mind you, all the things that you could replicate because you did not have 
model of good relationship growing up. So how could you give that to your girls? Right. And so you would think that that right there would just be enough to just be like immediately fucking I'm done. I'll never do it again. I just want my kids back. And it was not that for the first week. That first week after my kids got taken away, I was, I was a fucking disaster. I was the lowest I feel like I had ever been in my life. My kids, the one thing that I love the most in this world were just taken from me. And I think I drank most of my pain away that first week. I remember the next day after they were gone, I woke up into my house all by myself and I drove to St. Joe and I got a gallon of water from Walmart and a bottle of rum and some freaking crystal light mix and dumped it in the gallon. Like I dumped out, I stopped at the goddamn stoplight, dumped it out enough that I could put this bottle of rum in there and mixed it up. And I drank that whole fucking thing on the drive home. Like I wasn't driving. Okay. But drank the entire thing on the drive home because I didn't, I didn't know how to cope. didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know what to do. And, you know, it was after that first week and Matt didn't leave my side through any of this. Like he was there while I was going through all of this. And I eventually at some point I was just like, okay, I, I can't like, he had talked to me and talked to me through all of the things that I was trying to fucking get out of my head and told me that we were going to do it together. We were going to get clean together and we were going to stay clean together and we were going to get my kids back and we were going to have a good life and everything was going to be great. And I fucking believed him. Okay. But we did it and we got clean and he helped me save the money so that I could get a lawyer so that I could go to court and I could take my kids back. And we did exactly that within like, I don't know, maybe a few months time or four, three to six months. It took, I think maybe. So the girls were in state custody during that time? No, no, they just, they did not like take them to the state custody. They just would not let me have them. Right. And if I wanted to see them, then it would have to be like supervised visitations at first. And then it had to be, if the dads wanted to let me get them, if they trusted me enough to get the kids, then I could get them until, but until there was a court order, then, you know, they, they couldn't do anything. And I had to go when I had to take his test for the court. And whenever I went that first and took that piss test, I was clean. Like I peed clean for them and they still told me I couldn't see them unless it was supervised. And so, and, and just to reiterate, you said that you, your assumption or your memories, memories recalling that this was probably like, it was set up by somebody, you know, and the reason I'm asking is because, uh, Piper's dad wasn't clean. At least no. at, the, at the time when they reported you, and uh, as Allie's dad, would have he stayed clean at, during this time? Do you know? Um. So, dad, Allie's dad during this time had been in jail for a while, and I don't know if he was staying with his mom or necessarily where he was exactly. But I know when this whole situation went down, Allie was with her dad. Okay. He was with him for visiting for something, or for a summer, or something like that. And whether it was her dad or her grandma or somebody, but so, and I didn't go the entire period without having my kids. I went the first 48, they told me I couldn't go take a piss test 
that I had to go take a piss test in order to see my kids all together. And I told them, I was like, well, I just smoked a joint. Like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? I can't piss clean. Like, and so then I waited and took a bunch of niacin and drank a fucking shitload of water and went and peed and peed clean. And like, like I said, I got to do the supervised visits. And then it was a waiting game after that. It was just a matter of trying to get Piper's dad to trust me enough to come get Piper for a weekend, trying to get Allie's dad to trust me enough to come get Allie for a weekend. And what I ended up doing, because I talked to a lawyer, and the lawyer told me that since nobody had custody, all I had to do was get the kids in my care and then never send them back until I got custody orders. Yes. So, so I would go and I would pick them up and go see them for a little bit and then bring them back. Or I would go, I got Allie one weekend and I just went and got Allie, took her to my house for the weekend, took her back to James. So that way Mike could see, oh, hey, look, she brought her back. We're we're doing this civilly. Well, then the next weekend, Mike was like, okay, you can come get Piper too. And so I was gonna get Allie and Piper. And so that weekend I went and picked both of my kids up and I came home and Rachel that night, I packed every single thing that was in my apartment and I moved and I moved from that apartment to a different apartment because the apartment that I was in, the whole front of it was glass and I was terrified that he was going to come back and do something and try to take my kids. It's, it's just glass. What, how am I going to protect anybody from here? So I packed every single thing up in my house and I moved that night. And then I never fucking talked to him again until I got, I told him that I was calling a lawyer. Then we went to court and I had my kids. <coughs> and once they were served the papers and shit, like we did end up on like them being able to go over there. And then we went to court and I got custody of my kids and they couldn't do nothing. They didn't eat. They, they didn't want them from the beginning. I don't think at that point, either one of them was really ready to. And I was like, I've never not been ready here to have my kids. You know what I mean? And I don't know. I don't want to, I'm not trying to say that they weren't ready to have the kids, but I don't think that at that point that either one of them was like, Mike was still getting high. After I got custody of Piper, he went downhill for a while and then was able to get himself clean. So, you know, it just, everything happens for a reason, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. But so, then I'm now, I'm clean now. Okay. And I'm with Matt and we were together and we were together for a little while and then I got pregnant and I think I got the kids back in November and by the following spring I was pregnant because I had Memphis in uh, September. Yes, what's the age difference between Memphis and Piper? Three years. Since so time, so some time had passed for sure. Yeah. But so life was good with that. Like, I mean, 
we really weren't getting high at all. We, he was working, I was working. It was probably the most healthy relationship I'd ever had at that point. Like there wasn't trust issues. It was just me and him and him telling me how great I was all the time and telling me that I deserved better. And, you know, at, I guess at that point, I had actually told my mom about what happened. I had told her that I was raped. I didn't give her any more detail than that. I don't think I ever really have given her much more detail than that. Um, but I, I, tried, I had had a mental breakdown one night whenever I was with Piper's dad. And he told me I was lying because why the hell would I just bring it up now? Why would I have still been around him and blah, blah, blah. And so I told, I had told Matt and he believed me and he didn't make me feel bad about it. And, you know, he loved me anyways. And I'm telling you what, that pregnancy with Memphis, it was, I had never experienced happiness like that. He didn't want me to work. I was able to stay at home. And like with Allie and Piper, I worked full time. I missed so much with them when they were babies because I was at work. And Matt was like, I got pregnant. Matt was like, no, I'll just stay at home. I'll work. You can stay home as a girl. I know how much you want to do that. And I did. And it was the best pregnancy I've ever had to this day. Like I was happy. It was I was excited. I was just enjoying every moment of it. And at this point, Matt was still clean. And if he wasn't, then I didn't know about it. But I'm pretty sure he was still clean this whole time until Memphis was born. And then he started in a different job and met some people that he shouldn't have been around as an addict. And, uh, so Memphis was born in September. Life is great. Everything's good. I have her. No postpartum. Everything's good. Two weeks after I had her, I came to that first team meeting. And I came into that first fucking team meeting and I saw the energy in the room and the way everybody was interacting. And I was like, these are my people. Like, and I remember going home and telling Matt, I was like, it's not even about the money. Like it would be stupid not to do it because it's so cheap right now. And if anything goes wrong, you know, like we got a whole bunch of fun toys to play with, but it wasn't even about the money that I could make. It was simply just, I needed that. I needed that energy and that love that was in that room. And then, and then Haley, God bless her, convinced me to buy the kit. And I did it, but I knew going into that, that I had to be open and I had to be honest with somebody about who I was and what I had been through so that she could understand me and so that she would know why I am the way I am. And I poured my fucking heart out to Haley. I think I texted her a book. Like this whole conversation just took us a whole hour and a half to have. I texted to her and was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> And I think that moment right there is exactly the moment that I started into the journey and learning who I was and learning to love who I am 
and learning to accept that it's not my fault. I mean, some things are my fault, but, and you know, I stayed clean for five fucking years, five years. And, and then I slipped and after Memphis was born, I'd been doing pure romance. We went to, we went to fucking trainings and I remember sitting in those trainings, that fucking board breaking ceremony. I watched that video the other day and cried all over again because it fucking changed everything. And, uh, I remember getting such a high off of it and then I would come home and this wasn't until like three years into it that I would come home from parties and Matt would be home and I could tell that he was high. Whenever we went, the first retreat we went to, that I went to, when I came home from that retreat, I was so excited to tell Matt all about it. And I come home and he picked me up from Haley's and he was high and I was heartbroken. Like, how could you do this? Like, we were supposed to do this as a team. We were supposed to stay clean together. And he got high and I mean, I fucked up because I freaked out. And instead of being understanding as an addict to be like, I get it. I freaked the fuck out on him and caused him to never trust me again to tell me whenever he slipped up. And so from then on, he's now back into addiction. And he's not using every day, but he is definitely sneaking around and doing it. And I'm still not using, okay? And I'm finding shit in our house. I'm finding pipes here hidden. I'm finding baggies here. I come in one time and found dope still on the bathroom sink in the house where our children are. And I'm like, you know, like this is too much. And... So I would find it and I'd throw it away, I'd flush it, I'd break the pipe, I'd get rid of it. And you know, I think a person can only do that so long before it really, really started to eat at me. And I think that's exactly where I was whenever I was like, you know what, let's have a baby. Let's, let's have another baby because I knew in my head, it gives me nine months at least. It gives me nine more months to stay clean. I'm not. I'm not going to slip up and give in. Maybe he can get his shit together at that time. And it didn't work. That pregnancy was, it was not the life last one. I was so depressed. I didn't want to go outside. I didn't do anything. And I wasn't working my business anymore. And then I had Willow. And two weeks later, I hemorrhaged out and almost bled to death. And uh, I stayed in the hospital the whole time by myself. He didn't even keep our baby at home with him. He sent her to my grandma's house. Because he was so far into his addiction at the time that it did. He didn't register, you know, how big of a deal it is. It's not a big deal to him. It's just a baby, you know. It's, he had to work. Grandma can keep her. And that's me sitting in that hospital. It's just like, here I am. I could have died. And you, you just don't even care. And so, 
I think Lola was. She was born in October of 2017. Right. 19. 2019. Right after the wedding. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She got married in October of 18. Then I got pregnant and she was born in October of 19. And I, by January, I'd been so fed up with BMI too and finding it here and finding it there that I was at the point where I was like, you know what, fuck it, if I'm getting high with you, you're not going to lie to me about it at least. And I fucked up and I started using it again. And I've been clean since. 2014. And so you, cause like you had said for him, it was like basically a, a, an unfortunate opportunity cause he had changed jobs and it wasn't per se that anything was going on in his life. It was just kind of like the pure pressure of this new friend group who was actively using. And so it kind of just fell upon him. He just, in that kind of instance, is that accurate? Well, he, Okay, so as when Memphis was born, when we were in the hospital, he got a call from this job that he'd been waiting to hear back from, and they told him that he had got the job, and it was like a huge pay raise. It was this big deal. It was like this huge blessing for us. Yes. And he started this new job that his best friend had gotten him, and they were working together. Well, there was a guy that worked there that is a known junkie, like IV user, no good. Matt's friend that got him the job committed suicide. And it wasn't shortly after that that Matt started getting high, like more often than not. And oh, so, so it was kind of a combination where it was opportunity and then yeah situation i see and so then for you as you were you're reporting like it was just a build up a build up a build up a mother with four young children at this point uh and two very young babies with a marriage and a husband um and also i think it's really important to add in like the heavier shit here right it's because when when you and i became friends you ha you were with matt i know matt matt is one of your your children's fathers that I do know. I know Matt well in an instance in terms of being able to say like a judge of character. And I, I get goosebumps because I, I feel that even though I don't know the first two fathers, you can tell that the, their pain has manifested into masculine anger. And with Matt, it was different, right? Like it was just like, you could, it was almost like you could feel the hurt of a young boy who was doing the best. He could. Left him at his, when he was a kid. I mean, yeah. Yeah, Matt had yeah. Trauma and Matt's, Matt's had all of his own trauma and his own triggers and he's dealt with it his whole life. And I, I don't think that that relationship was a total failure. I know that we're not together anymore. And I know that at one time, I know that I thought for real it's going to be forever. And I think that it could have been forever had we not both fallen back into the old habit. But once we did that, it was it was doomed from the beginning. Yeah. And so, as you had said, like we've got all these things adding up, stacking up, like it's just hit after hit after hit, finding the stuff in the house and stuff. So, can you recall 
did you go to him? What was your decision for you just to say, okay, I think I'm ready just to, to do this one more time with you? Yeah, it, I don't even remember how it happened. I think it was just one night and I was sitting here and I was like, you know what, you should call somebody and get something. And Andy did. And it, that this last relapse was by far the worst I've ever gotten. And so like this last relapse, I lost everything, everything. I mean, when we got married in October, like I said, you know, 18, had a baby, things were bad. He was like, we were both using, he cheated on me. Um, things got super physical and abusive and it was super toxic and you know I think we both tried and eventually it was just to the point where we were both using like very often to the point where it was daily and it was well put it to reference for you by January I think it was either very late December or early January of 2019 or 20 that we started using again or that I started using again and by April Piper's dad had noticed enough of a difference in me and the way that things were acting at home and I can't even tell you that I didn't notice a difference myself because my kids were uh, extremely unhappy Piper would go to her dad's house and be so happy to go to her dad's house and then come home and be miserable. And so, you know, by, because her birthday's in April, and by April she was already living with her dad. Her dad had already filed papers and was going to take me to court because he knew that I was using and that things were no longer good at my house. And who knows, maybe he'd been plotting that for a long time and he had no idea that I was using, but in I feel like he had to have known. And so Piper, and it, and it wasn't a big, huge custody battle or anything like that. Like, I could see the difference in my kids. And I always said that I would not, I wouldn't be the mom that's going to, I'm not going to hold them back. If she's happier at her dad's house, then who am I to stop her from living with her dad? He's just as much her parent as I am. Do I want her to be with me absolutely it broke my fucking heart but at the same time if it's what's best for her then I want what's best for her and so I was like okay she can live with you and we'll reverse the situation she can come stay with me on the weekends and on holidays and stuff and I think that right there is what really 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 broke me because after all, I got my tubes tied. I didn't have that option to get clean again because I was pregnant. And then after Piper got, went to live with her dad, it just, it was just a snowball effect after that. Like me and Matt got super bad and we're fighting all the time to the point where I kicked him out and I didn't want him to live here anymore. 
but keep in mind at the same time, I've been a stay-at-home mom this whole time. And so I just kicked him out and he left. Well, it was kind of mutual in the beginning. And, and he took it to the vehicle, left me with the house, the kids, no job, and took our only vehicle because the vehicle that I had had that was mine, he had gave to his fucking friend I used. And now that friend had claimed dibs on it and it was fucked up. I couldn't even drive it anymore. So I had nothing to get me to work or anything. And um, so I had actually got a job with family and I was trying to work with family and my sister was coming over and she was helping me with my kids and my friend Nikki was helping me with my kids. And at this point, I'm trying to learn what it's like to be single with four, well, three kids and work full time. And I have this addiction that I'm trying to deal with and it's every day. And it was like that for a while by that following year. Well, that same year was 2020, I guess. Yeah. Because I uh, sent Allie, I called Allie's dad and was like, Hey, I'm really not doing so great over here you know all of this going on with Matt and I'm not in a good place I need you to take Allie for a little bit I need her I need you to take her and let her go to school there for a while because I need to get my shit together here and so when Piper left I went ahead and sent Allie to go stay with her dad for a while so I could try to focus on getting myself together and my sister was helping with the little kid and I was working and by December of 2020 right before christmas i was trying so hard i just wanted to be clean but matt was still using and we were still toxic and on and off and it was just it was a i love you but i can't i don't want you to leave kind of relationship like like i hate you but i love you like don't leave me and so in december of 2020 I packed up and I went to St. Louis with Allie because Allie had come back a while before that. And I went down to St. Louis and tried to stay down there with Allie's grandma on her dad's side so that I could get clean, so that I could come back for Christmas and be clean. And I packed up all of her Christmas presents, took all of it down there with me. And while I was down there, shit was crazy here. I don't, I think it was just my brain telling me to, to leave, but I didn't, couldn't do it. I ended up leaving and coming back. And then I got a job at a car dealership that next February, I think it was March. February and March of 2021, I got a job at a car dealership. And I was still using every day. And I remember I had a mental breakdown after I got off work. And I'm talking like full-blown mental breakdown. I had to pull over on the side of the highway and try to compose myself so I could drive the rest of the way home. And I remember coming home and I sat in the bathroom for four hours crying. My whole life I just kept telling myself I was not going to be my mom. All I ever wanted to do was be better than my mom. 
and I turned out to be just exactly what I didn't want to be. I was losing my fucking shit. And so I took my bags that I had, I took the pipe that I had, I flushed the bag that I had, I went and smashed the pipe, and I cried myself to sleep that I went up, got up the next morning, I went to work. And I was at work, and a friend of mine called and asked me if I could take her, if I could drive to Pennsylvania to go pick up her husband and bring him back for Easter. Or if I could watch her kids for her so that she could go do it. And I knew, I was like, you know what? It's a 22-hour drive to Pennsylvania if we drive straight through. It's going to take at least three days for me to detox and get this shit out of my system so that I can start to feel better so that I can try to work on the mental part of staying clean. And so I was like, you know what? I can't keep your kids in my house because if I keep your kids in my house, I'm going to use it as an excuse because I have to get high now because I have all these extra kids and all this stuff to do. So I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll drive to Pennsylvania. I don't care. I'll drive to Pennsylvania. And so I told my boss, I was like, look, I'm not going to be here the rest of the week. I'm driving to Pennsylvania. And I went home and we loaded up. I had my mom watch my kids and I drove to Pennsylvania and I took some stackers because at this point, like I haven't used since the day before, before I went to work. So I'm already clean for 24 hours and tired as fuck because I've probably been awake for who knows how long before. So I took some staffers so that I could actually get us there and not fall asleep driving because that's the only one with a license that could drive in the city. And so we got there. And when we got there, I was that was the end of it for me. Like, I made it to Pennsylvania, and then I was sicker than fuck. Like, sick in the hotel. They had to pull over on the side of the road so I could get sick on the drive home. And I don't know if it was the mental breakdown or experience the withdrawals as bad as I did, or a combination of just all of it, but I haven't used since that day. And I don't know, it's not been as hard this time to stay clean. And I don't know if it's just because I finally was just honest with myself about what the reality is of my life and my addiction. And I started to go to NA meetings and I went to the first one on this year and it was, it was life changing. Like that first conference was like, I didn't know that's what it was going to be about. I didn't know I could walk into a room and feel okay about all, all this ugly shit that's happened. And you know, I stopped getting high and it was crazy to me to see how much everything started to fall together. I stopped getting high. I got a new job. I got a new car. I fucking... I was able to actually form a relationship with Matt that wasn't toxic because he got locked up. He, by the end of our relationship, Matt went to jail. And so he was, he kind of had to be, get clean. And then he got out of jail and he's he's clean now. He's been clean for longer than I have because he had to, but he's still doing it. And now 
you know, we're co-parenting great. He gets the kids on his time. They get them on mine. We're able to work together and really be the parents that the girls need. And I don't know. I think deep down, knowing that Matt's doing it too, even though we're not together anymore, I think it helps a lot. Like, plus I've been honest with myself about all this bullshit in my life and I'm not, it's not lingering as bad anymore. So I'm stuffed up, but hopefully this helps. Yeah. I'm hoping it's just as much healing as this for somebody who's listening right now. Well, I mean, I think, you know, at least it, there's no, again, I'm back to this, like, don't compare because it's just not fair to you and the person you're comparing yourself to anyways, right? But, like, I've said this before, and so I know you'll hear my heart when I talk about this, is, like, any coping mechanism, especially ones that we're not aware aware of, is an addiction, right? We so heavily judge those who are on street drugs, but I would argue that it's not necessarily is it the, one of the most destructive one of the most expensive potentially one of those life altering to your body yes but let's take for example excessive working out right like some people right. don't think about that as a coping mechanism but it is and it does just as much damage to your body as an eating disorder and so i digress my point being is that each and every one of us has a coping mechanism unless we are like tibetan monks we all do because we are not equipped as human beings to feel the full range of emotion to the full extent because we have convinced ourselves that bad emotions could literally kill us if we allow ourselves to feel them so it's it's important because when i hear your story in great length and great detail like this it's like i hope you give yourself so much more credit because you did stop you did stop and you did stop and you did stop with these at each segment of your life with the tools that you had. Sometimes it was just like the inspiration of growing a human being, but it still was a method for you to choose to stop. And here you sit now, it it doesn't surprise me that you say that this is the easiest it's ever been. Well, yeah, one, because you've been through it before. So there's part of that, that natural logical portion of you that has done it before. So you know that you're capable, you do have some skill set there, but also just in the life experience of where you've come to, right? Is like your, your awareness of the things that you were trying to use to substitute love in your life, the awareness of that very heavy pattern recognition of, I told myself I wouldn't be mom and I became exactly like mom. It's not your fault, but again, what would you have done differently? You didn't have a strong female support besides sister, of course, but not enough repetition or strongness, or even the fact that we always choose to want to be like our mothers if we're feminine, right? So you literally had to build from scratch any life skill that you've ever had. And so is it going to be bumpy for sure? Because you didn't have a great method to watch, let alone a book to read or anything to formulate it off of. So each time you threw everything at the wall in terms of recovery and healing, some of it stuck. And some of it didn't, but of course, because you were new and naive and young and didn't know that there was any other way to do things, right? So all of that, uh, is it inspiring? I sure as fuck hope so to somebody who is going through something very similar to you because you have literally survived by just clawing your way through life. And what worked last time, I'm going to try it again. And the thing that didn't work, I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I'm sure you do. I'm not going to beat myself up about it because I'm not failing. I'm just finding one way not to do recovery. Right. Listen, you know what I found really worked. I think last time. I don't think that it was so much that Matt was clean. Also, I think between Memphis and Willow, 
when I had pure romance in my life. I spent so much of that time diving into self-development and reading every single fucking book I could find. Anything that you were like, hey, this is a good book. I was like, okay, I'm going to read it. I mean, I'm reading this one again. (laughs) I have an entire bookshelf in my bedroom that's nothing but self-help books because when I was reading those books and working through those emotions, I was clean that whole time. I was clean that an entire time. It wasn't until I stopped doing those things and let my mind focus on the chaos that was happening instead of the good that I could be doing that I fell back in. And so this time, this time after I got clean and I came back, it's been, I'm not, I'm not associating with the people that are getting high. Even if that meant I had to cut my mom off for a while. Sorry, mom, you got to go for a little bit. I'm not, I'm just, whenever shit gets bad, I grab one of these fucking books off the shelf. Whenever, whenever I start getting in my head, I tell, I'm like, hey, Rachel, talk me through this because I, I need somebody. I can't sit with this in my head anymore. It, it's just, I think I finally found something that works for me. And it's, it really, I have, a, I really have you and Lacey and Rachel and Haley, if uh, you're Rachel, fuck. It's okay. but you know, I really have you guys to thank for that. And I, I don't think you know how much of an impact it really has had on me. Like, big. I love you. Oh, I love you too. Yeah. Like I said, like, I really hope that like having this conversation just kind of reiterates, right? Like, I don't think that there's, it's not that our relationship, I feel like I'm better than you. I know you know that, but I do feel like there's kind of like, again, that energy of big sister, little sister. And it's so important for me to tell you as often as I can, how proud I am of you, because we both understand that we didn't have that kind of thing growing up. We didn't have a cheerleader that had no strings attached, right? Like when you talked about Haley coming into your life and you'd be able to word vomit all that stuff. Yeah, I got, I just got goosebumps now because it was the first relationship in your life that didn't have a contingency to it. Right. She didn't expect anything out of you. I literally feel like Haley is my soulmate. Like, it's been, hell, I haven't got to actually hang out with Haley in years, but I could call her right now and I could tell her everything that's going on with me and I would feel no judgment and it would be like, just like we had talked yesterday. Like that woman is my soulmate and I, I don't know where I would be without her. Had it not been for her help and her support through all of that, like, I don't know where I'd be today. I believe I agree with you about like everything does happen for a reason. So for you to have the perfect storm at at a time that Matt was healthy and supportive and you were finally in a place in your life that you were receiving so much decent amount of love that you were deserving of and that it felt good. And he was supportive of this idea of doing pure romance and having your own business. So of course you were flying very high. And then of course, for it to start to be taken away from you in some way, shape or form. And then massively, right. Of course your mind panicked. It doesn't surprise me, honestly, that it ended up in a relapse because this was the closest thing you had to the idea of you being the mother you wanted to be, and then having a supportive partner to, to, to help you accomplish that, right? So yes, the subconscious at us is petrified when we start to lose it. So we'll do anything we can to maintain it or keep it or whatever, whatever. So, you know, this conversation at great depth, I do hope that somebody who's listening and whatever you're going through, that you just understand that there is always pattern recognition to somebody who's suffering. 
and the body's going to do what it can in any instance to feel its safest. And it sounds so strange that we would crave a drug instead of whatever it is that's going to fix that situation. But does that not then make sense? Because how am I supposed to have conversations with other people, especially who are involved in my life where this is upsetting me, if I don't have the emotional capacity to know what it means or even to have the language around it, and they don't have the receptivity to be able to hear my message, right? So of course it's going to be easy for me to put a cupcake in my mouth and elevate my blood sugar so I feel different or smoke a cigarette or smoke a joint or literally do some dope. It's the same kind of concept. It just gets out of control because we don't have the wherewithal to reel it back yet. So with our 12 minutes left in the second part of our podcast, I want to know, first of all, like, what do you feel like uh, is not your motivating factor? Because we already know that to be a great person, be a great mother, and you're already accomplishing those things. But what do you feel like is like your best tool? I, I know you said you read the books and that's cool. If that's what it is. But what's your best tool for sobriety? And where do you see yourself in the next? I don't want to say five years. That's way too long for us to fucking commit. But let's just say like the next 365. Listen, I'll tell you in a night that you just take it one day at a time. Yes. And, you know, that's really all I can do. I mean, I'd like to say in a year's time from now that I'll be doing great things and I'll be in nursing school and I'll be saving for my dream house. But the reality is that I have no idea what the next 365 days is going to give me. I know that every single day that I'm working on communicating the way I'm feeling and the thoughts that are going through my head because I know that whenever I get stuck in my head that that's when those feelings come back. Hold on, hold on. Oh, there it goes. But I know that that's when that urge comes back is whenever I'm feeling low and bad about myself. And so I do. I, I've got you. I, I work on it on my sister. I... Anybody that will listen to me, my brother-in-law, that poor soul, <laughs> I put him through hell. <laughs> like, whether it be turning on music and jamming the music and dancing in the kitchen because the voices in my head are getting loud and we need to drown him out for a while, or if it's him sitting in the dining room, or we sat in the kitchen floor the other night until midnight, throwing freaking dog food across the floor, trying to make it in the bowl, just talking about my feelings because... I was extremely, extremely emotional and I was overwhelmed and I felt like I was drowning and I had to get it out. And it, honestly, just talking about it is gotta be the thing that's working the most for me. Cause, Cause otherwise I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not ashamed of it anymore. I am an addict. I am, but I, I'm not, it doesn't have to be that way. I'm the one that's in charge of that. If I don't want to be anymore, I don't have to be. And I don't know. I got a lot to prove with myself. So so you've proved a lot so far too. I know. I know. But so far I've just been surviving. True. True. And I would say that you did have a couple of years there where you were maybe even thriving a little bit, but but as you'd mentioned, right, like discovering personal development is the awareness that you're in survival mode. A lot of people don't discover personal awareness who are not, right? Like bless my sister's heart, bless my father's heart, bless my mom's heart, bless my brother's heart. These are people I don't think that will ever come to terms with the level of understanding of who they are in the same capacity I have because their circumstances haven't been shitty enough. And all due respect, because my brother and sister grew up in the same household I did. I do not know what my dad and my mom went through, but 
mine was enough to shatter me in an instance in some way, shape or form that I've had to rebuild and then try to understand those pieces. And that could be true for them. But my understanding of them is that I don't think they'll, they'll come to that level, you know, and what you have in a sense, I hate saying this because when we go through traumatic episodes and people hear me say them, something like it happened for you, not to you, you know, that's difficult and almost offensive but it is the truth of the matter. You know what I mean? Like everything happens to us. Yes. But it's for us to learn who we don't want to be, who yeah. you want to be, what goals we want to smash, the kind of lifestyle we, we, des- we desire to, to live. Right. And so survival is the baseline for most of us, especially when we have trauma, how would, how would it not be anything else? We're just learning to take it one day at a time, even on a subconscious level in that regard. But it's about a different type of integrity and it's about a different type of intention. So it is different for you and your mental health is the one that's benefiting the most, right? Your body is not reaping this con- con- constantly in survival mode, which is high stress, high dopamine. That's not the same thing. High cortisol. So you're literally taxing your body and aging faster and literally c- creating dis-ease, which is disease, right? Dis-ease in the right. body. So all of those things are important to recognize, but, um, Dare I say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and you can tell me I'm way off base, but I feel like sometimes when we're people who go through things like this, these dark nights of the soul, these massive lessons to learn, not even just for self, but we see the perspective on the world and how it changes in that regard. I feel like that's more of an intentional life than people who are asleep forever. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I'm not, I will be the first one to tell you, I'm not ashamed of the things that I've gone through anymore. Okay. I'm not. I can look at every single thing that has happened to me and I can tell you the silver lining in it because if I can't find the good in everything that's happened then my life is shit. Like it's easy to go down that path and find everything that's wrong. Yes. Yeah. Because it's just been one thing after another, after another, that's been this fucking stupid traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. So if I can't look back and find the good things that happened in that, then you know, I mean, Yeah, I get it. I do. I totally understand that. I totally understand it. But especially in this last time, because obviously, so when we became friends, you had been clean. uh, And I knew about your history for sure. And being states away, it was harder for me to be able to tell. And you were, for the most part, I mean, like, it's not that you ever lied to me, but I don't, I just don't think I was asking the right questions at the right times all the time to be kind of ahead of it and aware of it. Um, But yeah, I, actually, I think I scrolled myself out of where I was going with that. It was more of this just realization of how far you've come. I know where you're going. It's been an unbelievable pleasure and total honor to be a part of your life. I am so grateful that you never cut me out, that you always let me know what was going on, and that you allow for me to be in the space to cheerlead you on. I know that doesn't happen for all addicts. I know that they cut people out. I know that they don't believe when people really want good for them, and I know you know that about me when it comes to you, and I just... I know. I I agree. Even though I'm not in the same type of recovery that you are, I agree. It's one day at a time. I get so far ahead because that's what the brain wants us to do is to think about the future so that we can prepare for it. But that's too overwhelming, Rachel. You know, that's something that I I do believe that we want to make sure that we are just one day at a time. It's the easiest thing we can do for self, to say the least. You know? Yep. Excellent. I would agree with that. Yeah. Now, as we're wrapping this up, Sweet thing. Any other questions? Any other questions is what I'm going to say. Any other things that you want to leave people with when it comes to where you're at, where you see yourself going and what they might be going through as well? I don't know. I, I like it. If you're struggling, just talk to somebody. People don't all suck. Not all people suck. 
That's for sure. I mean, I don't know. I know as an addict that I thought for a long time I needed to keep it a secret. I didn't want people to know. People were going to judge me and say shit. And keeping quiet about it keeps you sick. For sure. So, I don't know. Reach out. Find a meeting. Find somebody to talk to. Read a book about how to help yourself. You can't expect everybody else to help you if you're not willing to help yourself. So. And that's true. I think that is one of the hardest concepts for people to start to understand is because, again, we have been conditioned to look outside of ourselves for not only validation and worth, but in love, but for fixing problems, right? Like I, if I wasn't given the confidence and skill set growing up about how to tackle my own problems, both tangible and emotional, then how, how do you translate that into, you know, when you're an adult, it's just that recognition yeah. is not always there for all of us. And so be very graceful to yourself. And, and I think this is also kind of a borderline ego and prideful kind of situation is just to give yourself that permission that you don't know everything. And you probably uh, know a lot less than you really think you do when it comes to the world and the grand experience that it is for perspective and empathy. So being open hearted in that regard and understanding, I think will get you so much farther. And then also again, that mental headspace, it's so much clearer and more freeing beyond anything. Yeah. No. <laughs> and the last thing I want to say about it all, to be frank, is that like the, the thing that sucks the most about work is that it really is just an exercise in allowing yourself to process and feel. That is all anything that we do in the, the human experience is having emotion. Emotion makes everything go around for us. It makes everything good, bad, neutral, whatever. And that's just a skill set we should be practicing so much more heavily with all human beings, but especially our children. You know, if, if that would have been a skill set for you to have an awareness about your worth, your value, and that it wasn't tied to the lack of the fact that your mom didn't have the ability to be present for you to, to give you that awareness, then your life would have been tremendously different. And all of ours would have, of course, but that's just, that's just the idea. If you would have known it was okay to feel, if you would have known it was okay to talk about it, then we would all be little superhumans in my opinion. Listen, you know what? It's, it caused the whole experience. My whole experience in life has made me just a better mom if you want my honest opinion because the relationship I have with my kids and with Allie I don't I, Allie talks to me about everything everything and so you know we have that trust there that this whole time I thought I was ruining I was turning into my mom and I was going to ruin my kids and I I don't think I did I, I really don't think I did I think I did a okay job I don't think you did either. I think you did. And I not only some bad choices, but I think it was a learning experience for all of us, really. For sure. And honestly, like, again, it's not about comparison, comparison, but when you put your two lives simultaneously, mother to mother, right? You're right. Like, none of us get it all right. None of us do. Okay. This is impossible. But you have, in my opinion, you have absolutely tackled a lot of generational trauma. I think that you broke a lot of the same patterns that mom did do. And again, you're only doing the best you can with what you got. So like, I, I'm trying to think of a visual, but if you, uh, <laughs> this is so random, but this is what came to my head. If you and your mom both had a hundred balloons, right? When you started off, it's like your mom popped 90 of them and you have held on to 75 right? Like there's still some that your kids may not have got to play with, but it's still a huge up from the balloons you were missing growing up. I have no idea why I came up with that analogy. It doesn't even make sense. It's completely fabricated, but it was just a visual representation of 
the progress you have made as a mother. And I definitely feel like you've done fantastic. And I hope that you give yourself a lot more credit than what you may have in the past. But I think you did a good job today. Learning. Good. This time okay. it's taken a lot of learning. Yeah. So. Well, if you're, if you, um, 